That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. All right, all right. All I right. think we, we got it. Uh, today we have um, one of my closest and oldest friends, Emmy Service, who I met on the set of an indie film starring uh, the guy who plays Red. Kirkwood on, on Smith. Kirkwood Smith. Kurt, Kurtwood. Kurtwood. Kurtwood Smith. Oh, thank you. for Because really, people are taking notes right now. I, and so, yes. He could be listening and he could be very offended right That's now. That's true. I know, if I know anything about Kurtwood Smith, yeah. is that he loves podcasts. Yes, he does. <laughs> well, the point is, as I'm trying to get to the point, is that he was played Red on that 70s show. Or also there's the bad guy in Robocop. Um, <laughs> but yes. For those of you who don't care about context, if you want to spell the gentleman's name right, it is Kirkwood. No, it's not. It's Kirkwood. <laughs> so first of all, Emmy yes. is, is a friend of mine who has experience working in uh, the entertainment industry, the tech industry, and in her spare time, which is actually kind of the reverse. I imagine she spends more time doing this, uh, which is working on uh, sketch comedy, uh, directing and writing, and so on and so forth. Um, but before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about... Kurtwood Smith. Kurtwood Smith. With a K-I-R-K, right? No. Like Kurt Cameron? <laughs> no, Kurt as in I'm being very brief with very, you right Very now. Kurt. Okay, thank you. <laughs> do you remember how we met, you and I? I do. So it was on the set of a, a short indie film starring Kurtwood Smith. That's uh, I-N-D-I-E, nope. <laughs> not I-N-D-Y. Um, and so this was back in 2004. I was fresh in L.A. after college. Fresh off the destroyer. Just fresh, a, fresh just, off the boat. I, just, I was doing, waiting for Guffman there. Fresh <laughs> off the destroyer. Just a tube of chapstick in my dance belt. I can quote A Mighty Wind better than I can quote uh, uh, Waiting for Guffman. Ugh, but anyway, so... No, oh, we will fight later. Okay, so um, so I was new in L.A. And we were filming this short film. And I, I was on the, the crew... Because basically I lived in the house that they were filming at. And they're like, what do you, what can you do to help? What would I, you say that you do here? Um, well, Bob, I'm, uh, I do a lot with, uh, I'm great with customers. And, uh, they love <laughs> it. Okay. It's a jump to conclusions, Matt. Right. So For those how, that weren't following, we've been yeah, qu- quoting yeah, Office Space. Yeah, so Google that. It's on the Google. Uh, so back to you. Mm-hmm. We met there, but I don't actually remember the exact circumstances of how we met, other than I, mean, I saw you I know, there and you saw I'm, me there. I was the script supervisor, which meant that I was kind of keeping track of the script and the shots that they'd already filmed and what kind of coverage they needed, basically like which uh, camera angles what they had. What kind of paper, what kind of quantity expl- of paper. Oh, you stop it. I had all of the different colored, uh, ben- pe- colored pencils. And it's actually true. That's part of what I did. But anyway, so I was doing my script thing, and you were you started off as a PA, and then got promoted to lead babysitter, and then barbecue chef. <laughs> but then we're producing the thing by the end of it. Yeah. So funny. So I came in as a PA, and then uh, Dotto, who's Mike Dotto, is a now a longtime friend of mine. Um, we went we went on to with Emmy mm-hmm. to produce a film called The Legacy, which is a fancy film we'll talk about later. But yeah. So day one, I was a PA. And then they needed a first AD because the first AD had a gig they had to go to. And then by that point, I was producing, which is basically just being a PA, but, you know, kind of organizing things. A PA with clout. PA with clout, with class, with jazz hands. <laughs> uh, so. Can't see the jazz hands. But can't see the jazz right hands. Now. Those are spirit fingers. Um, no, no, no. These are spirit fingers. You can't see this as an audio podcast, but just trust us. Oh, this is an audio podcast. Oh, oh sideshow, Bob. <laughs> uh, so, anywho. Uh, yeah, that is how we met, uh, and it's been like this ever since. Yeah, <laughs> very much these same jokes. Yes, I mean, pretty much. <laughs> uh, so, fast forward, beep, boop, 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 boop. After you were on, uh, the show, aka the, the movie Peace, which is the, Peace was the short film we are doing with Kirk 
Kurt. No, no. Kurtwood. Kurt, Kurt with a T. Gotcha. Kurtwood Smith. Uh, you went on to do. You did a. You did a movie starring. Uh, Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal. And I, then, and, but go ahead. I was a I was a PA slash runner, which basically means I ran errands with my car to and from the production office to the set. So I I was like kind of like a gopher kind of person. But it was a straight to video Steven Seagal movie. So still to this day, I've not seen the movie. But it's called Black Dawn. Uh, it did get made. It is an actual movie that is in existence. I guess if I watched it, I would see my name somewhere in the credits under like office crew or something like that. Um, but that only lasted about a month or so. But then after that, I worked on Intervention for a year and a half. Now, uh, what's Intervention? Like, Intervention is A&E's Intervention, the docudrama uh, series. It's like half documentary, half reality show that has now been going for over 10 years, if you can believe that. Actually, no it. longer. It's, it's got to, if it's still, it's still in the air, I think. If it is, it's been like closer to 15 years because it started, I worked, I worked on it the first season, it was in existence. Um... So like the first year and a half of the show was when I was there, and I it's got Emmys now, which is crazy. Uh, so what I also recall is that you did. Uh, so there was a movie called uh, Ten Till Noon that yes. starred that starred uh, Morgan Freeman's son, as I recall, Alfonso Freeman, and has he was a very nice gentleman, Super as I recall. Nice I met him at the premiere mm-hmm. uh, that you invited me to. I did. And so the cool thing about that is that so the guy who wrote it. Is a guy named Paul Osborne. Mm-hmm. It's O Z Z Z. No, it is not. <laughs> How do you spell it? O S B O U R N E. From the yep, that's it. Gotcha. Nailing it. Um, so, anyways, the, reason, the thing I remember about that is so one, it was a it was a definitely a, it was a con- I, I, iconic kind of movie. A lot of a lot of. I feel of, like it's very Tarantino esque. Yeah, Tarantino Tarantino esque. And so, what the interesting thing about that movie, more than anything, frankly. Is that uh, they had trouble getting into the film festivals, and so they did, oh yeah they did a documentary called official rejection uh, official rejection and that documentary actually blew up a lot. This is what I'm saying. So let's yeah. uh, you want know, to talk about that a little bit. Um, I mean, I don't know that I'm uh, uh, in a position to speak a lot about it. I did watch the documentary. It was super interesting because I don't know a whole lot about the festival circuits. I've been, I guess, part of crews that have gotten into festivals, but I haven't been to a ton of them. But it was really, really interesting to see that this film that I worked on, that I thought, and I've worked on not like a ton of films in LA, but enough where I could see that Ten Till Noon was a higher caliber than some of the other crap that I worked on. And so to see that it was getting rejected across the board was really surprising. And then to watch the documentary about them documentering Documentary, yeah, that's a word. Uh, all of their spelled, by the way, documentary is spelled K I R K. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was just, it was really interesting to watch the documentary about the film that I was a part of. I guess the thing is, like, I've actually gotten, I think I, I I've gotten into over a hundred film festivals, and I think it's at almost a hundred and forty. Hashtag humble brag. Hashtag humble brag. Right, exactly. Uh, but the reason why I say that is not just a hashtag humble brag. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that because I think that, you know, what people really talk about when they say they can't get into film festivals is that they, they say they can't get into film festivals that they want to get into. Ah, uh, yes. So, so for me, the one thing that I know about film festivals is that it's like anything in life. Like, Anyone can get into the Sheboygan Film Festival. Exactly. I love Sheboygan Film Festival. But also, but, it's, but, it's, but at some level, that's not true, though, because the truth of it is like what you... It's what everybody does, right? So they, everybody wants the bigger and better deal. So they look, people look for films that will either make them look fancier of how they see themselves or they think they're at the same level or you're part of the same community. So if you're a person who's like a part of the, um, the, you know, the thriller and 
horror suspense community, then, you know, there you have a better chance of getting into those film festivals by virtue of the fact that you've kind of put in the time to be part of that community um, or you've done a lot of promotional work. And so because the bottom line is most film festivals, what they really want is they want somebody who can um, get butts in the seats so that they can charge tickets or do their promotion for them or have like, oh, like we have this film that everyone's talking about in this community and therefore, even if we don't get money for it, even if we don't get a ton of promotion, we're at least going to be known in that community. And I think so, every film festival wants to be the festival that discovers X film. Right. Like, oh, we're the festival where Babadook premiered, or we're the festival that you know premiered. Exactly. Alpha Dog. A hundred percent. And and that one, but. and but at like at the kind of lower levels, I don't want to use the word lower, but it just it, like from from. Well, I just mean is like any for me, any film festival is good. You get an opportunity to show your film to a bunch of people who hadn't seen it before then that's a positive. But for a lot of people, they look at it and they say, well, I just put X amount of dollars and I put X amount of hopes into this thing where I wanted Hollywood. <laughs> and really, it just doesn't exist. It's basically most film festivals are like five people who've been donating their times for X amount of years who like film and who like to be fancy for once a year. <laughs> and so if your goal is to make money, then the first thing you should do with filmmaking is not make films. Uh, if your goal is to try to make a little bit of money and have a little bit of fun and to express yourself through art in that way, then you should make films. And the cool thing about Paul, I can't speak for the director, I really can't speak for Paul, but I know for Paul... Directed uh, by Scott Storm. Scott Storm, exactly, who has done a bunch of other stuff mm -hmm. um, that I thought was really good. Actually, at one of our my favorite festivals, which is Dances with Films, which is I've gotten into seven times, hashtag humble, humble brag. Right. Um, but it's, again, that's a community thing. Like, I... I I'm sure there are better films out there, but like because of my combination of, of like being able to promote and kind of understanding what their vibe is and just that I'm super fancy, like they're like, they've, if all things are being equal, they're going to pick one film of a person who they kind of know is going to promote it than over somebody who may not promote it. So it's not, a, and this brings me to the point of like the way that you decide whether a film is good is that you watch it, look at it, and decide if you like it. And that's about it. And But instead, what we look for is these external validations. And the cool thing about official rejection is that I, you know, I think you and I both have kept in touch a little bit with mm -hmm. Paul yep. in particular. And what I like about Paul more than anything is that he basically makes films cause he enjoys it. <laughs> like, like he, I don't know if he makes money on it. I really don't. I have no knowledge of that. And I have no knowledge of, you know, how much it costs him to make it. But I do know that he is a name quote unquote within the industry and he's got to start by making a documentary about how he wasn't. <laughs> and so to me, that's the lesson, which is to make films because you enjoy them, to meet people. Like I met one of my closest friends in the whole world by just walking on a set, not knowing anybody, uh, not making any money on it, frankly. And here we are now, how long ago, 14 years later, talking yeah, about going it. Going like, on 15. Going on 15, right. Like, uh, Before we get totally sidetracked by something else, yeah. I'm, can I tell the joke that Kermit Smith taught me? Yes, let's hear it. Set? Let's hear it. This was the funniest. We were just filming. Uh, in, so in the house that I lived in, it was a really awesome house. It was. It didn't look big from the outside, but when you went inside the house, what it was, was it super called? long. It was called the Super House. Uh, it was inhabited by a bunch of uh, Emerson guys. Emerson. Inhabited? Were they aliens? Or you shush. Let me tell the story. Uh, they all went to Emerson College here in Boston, and I just kind of fell. In, and I found them from Craigslist, ironically enough. Um, but anyway, so they had this great house. Why is that ironic? Was there somebody in Craigslist? I guess because I live in Boston now, and like at the time, I'd never been to Boston. Oh, gotcha. 
Um, so we were filming a bar scene in the house because they had a full bar in the rec room that one of my roommates built himself with his bare hands and not like gr- a bare hand, like his actual hands. He didn't have bare hands. I, I just to be clear, clarify. but he, he, he was... did build it with his muskrat fingers though. <laughs> muskrat fingers is my new Harold team. Um, oh yeah. So we were, <laughs> so we were filming. <laughs> muskrat, awesome possum, muskrat fingers. <laughs> You laugh. I'd I know. I was in. I was in Midnight Waffles and in prob- <laughs> and Awesome Possum. You were an Awesome Possum. I remember that. I one. was. Um, okay, so we were filming this bar scene, and while they were and part of filmmaking, for those that haven't done it, like eighty percent of filmmaking is just waiting for the lights to be done. Um, and maybe, you know, 15% is actually filming and 5% is anything else, but like 80% is waiting for the lights. So we're, we're all hanging around and Kurtwood Smith is standing in his spot and they're waiting for the lights. And he's like, you know, I'm just, you've got, tell me if you've heard this joke. So, uh, was it a priest, a rabbi and a Polish guy walk into a bar. Bartender says, what is this? Some kind of joke? And it was just like the dumbest thing. <laughs> and we all cracked up. I've never heard that one. It's so stupid, but I love it so much. I've always remembered it. Um, that was Dennis, by the way. I saw that. He, yeah. Dennis Hurley popped up on Oh, on yeah, he always pops up. So he was probably, we were, we were thinking about him. Yeah, I was going to have to stop that joke because I'm, I'm not a big fan of those, you know, um, those, those priest rabbi jokes that tend to be a little... A little iffy. Luffy in my yeah. mind, even before, even before the era that we're in. But, but that one I like. Because the punchline is, it's a meta. It's yeah, a, it's, he, it's a like, commentary yeah. on the jokes. Exactly. Setting. Yeah. It's like that whole how many babies fit in a tire thing. Also a line from, uh, that's a line from, um, come on, I, I'm not to edit that one. Waiting for government. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like, he's like, he's trying to, like the Kirk, he's trying to direct everybody. You know, it's that whole Zen thing. Like how many babies fit into a tire? Like he's just making crap Is it actually from Waiting for Government? Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't, that's a weird thing to say. You know, that's, a, that's absolutely from Waiting for Government. Oh, I just said it because you were talking about Waiting for Government earlier. Oh yeah, I no, no, yeah, I was right. yeah. I was right. I was right. You can't handle, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so the point of the story is that, um, yes, that. There are fans that if you don't think you're fancy pants, nobody is. Like, there's only two things, in my opinion, is are you doing things that make you happy and can you pay your bills? So that brings me to this question oh. of, like, for, for me, when I, when I kind of look at your, your life, you have a fancy tech job. You uh, have... Oh, you're talking to me. I'm talking oh, to you. Okay. I'm talking to you. You have fancy friends. Uh, and I, mean, I just saw a show of yours. Uh, yes. What was that called? And tell me a little bit about it. Oh, uh, so my sketch group, Suzzy, spelled uh, K-I-R-K. <laughs> it's spelled S-U-Z-Z-Y. People sometimes think it's Susie, but it's Suzzy. Um, so that's my sketch group, and we just had a performance at Improv Boston's Battle Royale, where we came in second place. Out of two. Out so of two. We call, that, we call that, we just lost. We call it second place. <laughs> it was just, they, came, they came in second place. Did the, so did the Celtics win last night? No, they came in second place. I like it. You just have that's to, the joke. <laughs> Uh, so we, it was a highly competitive sketch show uh, that millions of people across the world were not aware of. Uh, well, no, there was a good crowd. Sec- no, no. That- like, it always sells out, but like, it's a, it's a quote-unquote com- competition that is not a competition. But it's, so like, there's a belt that gets given to the winning team at the end, and then it gets properly put back in the green Wait, room. Wait, so, so, let me get this right. Oh, so, sorry, so, did so, I just so, blow so, your world? So, so people, people yes. cheer yes. to see yes. who wins. Correct. Right? And at the very end, they win a belt. For about 30 seconds. Right, but they get something. They get to hold the belt and take a picture. So I'm no doctor, but isn't that competition where you win? Correct, but it's not like there's uh, like prize money on the line. 
But there's no improv prize money or sketch prize money. Just want to clarify. I mean, like, if you're really going to be a millionaire sketch performer at Improv Boston, then get in line. Get in line. Um, I mean, when I say like it's a quote unquote competition, it like you know with sports balls, there's brackets and you move up the ranks. Eventually, there's right. like you go to the Super Bowl or the pennant or the. What is hockey's thing? The, the. Um, <laughs> and then you win a prize that you get to keep, or it's it's televised and everyone's watching. So yeah, this so, is a bi-weekly so. sketch show that forty people have a say. I don't in. know why I say that. You're like like you're basically like explaining things to make it like nobody's like oh she's bragging about sketch again. <laughs> She's she's They're, bragging about community theater. I am really I better, selling this I better show. just like explain to people not to expect you know like televised or commercials <laughs> or money or prize money. Let me, let me back this up. So we were on this really great, highly uh, anticipated right, sketch in, show. Well, first of all, just, there's not that many. There's like two. So the point is, is that if you are on stage at one of the two to three main places in Boston and people are paying money to see you, then that's pretty cool. You don't really like try to downsell it. Like it's not the Super Bowl. So don't get too excited. <laughs> Nobody listening is like, oh my gosh, I, I really want to be a sketch performer because I'm going to get the, 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 the ladies or the, or the fellas like, or the, or the mad cash. Like I guess nothing is more lucrative than sketch comedy. <laughs> there's no, there's no, so I guess the question is why I do it. Um, I do it because, um, I, as you said, I work at a tech company, which is a job that pays bills, but it's not creative or, uh, you know, fulfilling in other ways. So I need, I've been doing theater since I was a kid and, um, now was that like the Super Bowl? When it, you were, when you were I mean, every, when I was a kid, every day was Super Bowl. Gotcha. I was just gotcha. dancing in the end zone of my life. <laughs> And occasionally got a flag thrown at me. Um, <laughs> You've all been there. I've had so many flags thrown at me. What happened to you? Well, the kids are throwing flags at me again. Are you offside? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was offside. So, so, um, so I was doing theater all through all through my school my school age. But then when I went to college and I started to major in film, I dropped theater, which in hindsight I regret doing because I always loved doing theater. But I was thinking I'm going to be realistic. I'm going to get. Um, you know, a career in film. <laughs> my 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 logic, which was which was sound, was that I want to work in film, but I know uh, trying to become an actor is highly competitive and like one of those needle and haystack kind of like no one, um, very few people actually make a successful living uh, as an actor. There's just it's just so many people doing it. So my thought was, but production behind the scenes is more feasible, and I did that. Like I I went to college, I went to LA, I was doing it. Um, and I dropped theater completely to go do film things. But then when I realized that working in film full time was way too stressful and I just wasn't enjoying it, um, I switched gears and ended up working in childcare for like 10 years, which is like not related. But the point is that in, in moving to film, I dropped theater altogether. And then when I didn't have film or theater, there was this big gap of time in my life where I just had no creative outlet. And so when I moved to Boston, and I, I, it was like the first day I got here. I flew off. I got the plane, and on our way to our new apartment, we stopped by Improv Boston, and you picked up like a gift card, and that just happened to be the first day in Boston. And I went to the theater that I would then be working at, 
a lot. Um, yeah, and, and, and I introduced you to some to at karaoke. At karaoke, yes. Yeah. So yeah. some of the first people that I met in Boston were Dennis Hurley, who's now one of my best friends. Uh, and our next guest on the and podcast. And our next guest. Well, I'm not, I won't be here. Will I? Will I be a, a host too on that one? I mean, if you're in Los Angeles, yeah. Probably not then. Uh, and then, and Doug Fitzgerald, who's a comedian who, who does comedy all around the different um, the studios and stuff. Um, Kevin Quigley, who was producing sketch comedy for a long time. Um, and then our, our late friend Barbara Kremen, who used to do improv in other oh, of the theater. Yeah, she died of breast cancer a couple of years ago. We miss her. But I met all those people like two days into being in Boston. Um, and it wasn't until a couple of years later when I started to dip my toes back into performing. But that's why I do it is because if I didn't do something creative, I think I would lose my mind. Yeah, but that's that, that's what I'm asking is you can do anything. Like you can draw pictures. Why do? Because I suck at drawing pictures. Well, but that's the thing. Is why do you, I like sketch? No, I guess what I'm saying is that the, the well, first of all. If you do things that you think are fun, you have to be good at them. Well, then that's going to be tough because there's always going to be somebody better. And what's good? Like, you just have to, you know, look at yourself and say, did I do a good job? But I'm saying that, like, there's a billion creative things you can do. Mm-hmm. And I guess your answer, if your answer is, like, I, I do sketch because I, I'm good at it. I don't know. I feel like it, I think in order to be good at something, you have to be passionate about it in the first place and really have it be the thing that you want to do. Because it's like volunteering, right? Any kind of volunteering is good. But you should pick the kind of volunteering that is for a cause that you really feel connected to. So I'm saying out of all the things you could do to, to, to uh, you know, scratch your, your creative itch, why do you sketch? I do sketch because sketch comedy is a good blend of the theater background that I have and the performing uh, aspect that I, that I enjoy doing. But also my writing background. Cause my, my parents are journalists, so I grew up writing the creative writing and writing for newspapers and magazines and all that kind of thing. Um, and in college, when I was uh, studying film, I also had a concentration in screenwriting. So I've been writing also since I was a young kid. Um, and so in doing sketch comedy, it allows me to perform and to be creative and to write uh, sketches. And then I also have been directing the last few years, which is uh, something I've also been doing since I was a kid. Started back in the day when I think at like eight years old, I directed my brother and I in a home uh, home video interpretation of uh, Gypsy. Oh, that was great. I love that one. Is is It goes down in infamy. And then there was the short-lived um, production of, uh, of, of Cabbage Patched uh, Kids musical. And the 18 that... musical I thought you did, right? With Bea Baracus and, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was good. A uh, little known fact was that um, uh, B.B. Newworth actually got her start in that production. <laughs> Hashtag humble brag. Humble brag. Well, the Emmy service eight-year-old directed 18 musical. Yes, B.B. Newworth. From Fraser fame, before she was made famous from other Broadway things, I'm many, sure. Many, many Broadway things. Yes, many, many. Many, many, many. So, frankly, I have some understanding of what it is that you do, but I don't really fully. So for those, for myself, and for those of us who don't know, when you direct a sketch scenario, <laughs> what would you say that you do? So what I do in a sketch scenario... Um, is there's a lot of things so from the start to finish so like if i'm um to take to use it as an example comedy america is a show that's been going on at Inver boston for this is the sixth year now so um the show will go up in july and it's currently february but we've already started pre-production for this show and i'm directing it for the third year so as part of the director uh responsibility I already have been meeting with our producer and our head writer to get the writer's room um, 
not cast, you don't cast a writer's room, but like selected and to make sure the writer's room is going and what they need and then working with um, the producer to get a prom promotion and posters and all that kind of material uh, going to get the audition notices out so that we can have auditions in a month, um, getting a rehearsal schedule set. So these are things that like... Wait, wait, so sorry, don't interrupt, but just what, what exactly happens with the writer's room so with the writer's room um we we uh we posted a uh, different um notices looking for writers so in the writer's room we usually select like eight to ten ish people and so they'll submit a packet of like three different sketches and then me and laura clark the head writer and marissa farmer our producer we read them all and we kind of discuss who we think is strong and has a unique voice and we want to have in the writer's room and what are they how what are they like what are they writing like they write into sketches how do they know how long it is or like they, they, they can submit any three sketches they want um so we basically wanted to get an array of what your voice sounds like if jed hamill submitted a, a packet for our writer's room what three sketches would you put in there? If I sent in a packet, what would I put in there? What's the sketch that I feel is my strongest, most, most um, expressive, that's gonna be like, this is what I write like. And then we wanted to get some examples of like political satire, topical humor, because Code America is like a vaguely political show, like gently re like related to America themes. Um, so, so that's what we were looking for. And so we, uh, we selected our writer's room, and they are writing their script. I have no, uh, I had uh, like a little bit of a say into who I think would be good for the writer's room, but ultimately it was um, the decision of the head writer because she is in charge of the writers and the pitches and the sketches that get written and then the final, the final script. So they might write 30 sketches for this show, but then there might be 15 that actually get put in the final script. And so they, they meet up and like... They meet every week and they do pitches and they do rewrites and they kind of do group brainstorming and then throughout the week they'll, the writers will all go off on their own and write their sketch and come back and then Laura as a head writer will kind of like talk through it with them and they'll go through different points. So I'll, I'll come into the writer's room like on the last day-ish and they'll, um, and this will be like when they have the full script and they'll read through everything and I get to sit there and listen to it and um, then maybe I'll give Laura a little bit of input or just like thoughts that I have. But by that point, the script is set and and I trust Laura completely because our script last year for last year's show was like amazing. So I was so happy. You get a chair that says director when you're in the director's room? In the, in the, yes. In the, in the writer's room? Yes, but I have to buy it myself. Gotcha. Do you wear like an ascot and like a beret? As a director? Uh, one or the other, never both at the same time because that would be ostentatious. Gotcha. So so all the pre-production stuff that I was explaining with the producer, it's like I kind of keep in touch and we make sure everything gets settled and I make sure the writer's room is, is, you know, they have everything they need. So once the writer's room is done and once the script is finished and it gets handed to me, then the show becomes mine and then is when uh, we have the auditions and we cast it. Um, so we have our X amount of actors and we have the sketches that then I decide what the order of the show will be. And like, and Laura might have like a, um, a suggestion as to like the order of the show, but I ultimately could be like, mm, I think this will go better in the beginning or this will be a better closer or something like that. But then I'll do all the casting out of which person is going to be in which sketch. Because there's, there's uh, the auditions and the casting of who's going to be in the show, period, and then who is going to be in which exact sketch where. Um, so then I do all that. Then we'll work with blocking, props, costumes. Um, we don't really do sets at Improv Boston. But you pick the fabric for the, if for the costumes? Have, if we have a costume, I might. Gotcha. Um, and of course, kind of, the muse, dance. 
the well, I mean I, I I have choreographed in my in the past really? I, I did uh, two years ago when we did um, there's a square dancing sketch and I, I, I choreographed some square dancing I don't know I why did you some, don't... I did some intense YouTube research for that how I, is that not on your your social media profile I mean it really should you be should, you should lead off with that I once choreographed a square dance like I, to me I, that's, that's that's like that's like dating gold yeah I feel like there's something I choreographed last year too but now I can't remember oh oh I mean it wasn't a dance per se but I did write a parody and then choreographed uh, a, it was a parody of Les Mis's One Day More, but it was One Vote More. And I was quite proud of that because it did look very epic with uh, the big cast and the giant flag in the background. I mean, I'm, I'm getting chills just right now listening to I mean, to I'm it. getting chills just thinking about right. it. I, I agree. Also because it's cold in here. Also because it's cold. Uh, <laughs> sidebar, sidebar, it's cold. Hashtag humble brag cold. Um, K-I-R-K. K-I-R-K. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> One of the many things you get mad at me about. <laughs> oh boy, this is, go any number it, of ways. Yes, there's so many, so many choices. Uh, is uh, when I when we talk about the difference between uh, your imp- and your. No, imp- yeah, your and your, there and there. Uh, but anyways, no. Um, the difference between improv and sketch, and what that means to you, and why you are drawn to sketch more than improv, without offending anybody who really loves improv. Well, so the difference between improv and sketch, because um, I know people often uh, who are not within the comedy world get them mixed up. Improv is uh, akin to the show Whose Line Is It Anyway? There's no script. There's no sets uh, necessarily. You're just kind of making it up on the spot. And sketch is akin to Saturday Night Live where it's short little uh, comedic vignettes and um, there is a script and there is blocking and costumes and things like that. So one is scripted, one is not scripted. That's the main, the main difference. Um, I do both and I enjoy both a lot. I, I, th- I started doing sketch more, um, intimately is not the right word, more um, regularly, I guess, uh, because I think it, sketch feels closer to theater and I have a theater background because the uh with sketch there is a script there is memorizing of lines there are costumes and props and uh, like there's an overall uh there could be an overall theme of the show but it but sketch feels more theatrical even if it's like a couple steps removed oh the theater the theater acting and scene. And scene. Improv is really fun, and I really enjoy it. And I perform with Comedy Sports Boston. Um, we have and where a, is that happening? That has a theater down in Rosendale. It's the Rosie Square Theater every uh, Friday at eight and Saturday at five. And and I love doing comedy sports um, so much. It's just like it's a different brain. It's a different vibe altogether. Whereas sketch feels, it feels more like theater. Like there's a performance. Um, not like there's like behind the curtain, but it just, it has that kind of feel to it. And improv, um, with comedy sports just feels like it's just fun. It's silly. It's accessible. It's, you know, you could bring your family to it. So there, it's like me. It is like you, you could bring your family to Jed and he will just make stuff up and sing silly songs. That's actually accurate. That's actually, that's factually (laughs) true. (laughs) Factual. Yes. Um, yeah. So I love both. And so, so the people who think, so this is my experience of the world of improv and sketch and anything kind of performance related is that there is, if you haven't done it, there's the sense that you could never do it. Right. Uh, because you're not that type of person or you wouldn't know where to start. And then once you're in it, I do think that there tends to be these hierarchies that happen of like, you know, like, uh, I don't know, just of like who the cool kids are, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I guess my experience of 
of that is that a once you're you know it just takes a little bit of a, a leap and I've met most of my friends through improv uh, uh, improv Boston um, and then also from a standpoint of sketch I do think there are some particulars you need to know but I guess my question is more of like a, a leading question is like is it really that hard to get into and if so um, what's a, what steps or what suggestions you have for people to get into uh, sketch or uh, sketch comedy uh, kind of what you're doing I don't think it's that hard to get into I think it's you have to know where to look and so someone um, who might watch Saturday Night Live or might watch old episodes of Whose Line might think it's really fun and would like to do it but wouldn't know where to start. Um, and if you don't live in a in a comedy town, which, I mean... I mean, Boston's hilarious. So many jokes. But, like, seriously, like, Boston um, is kind of, I would say, second like second tier of the comedy towns. But, like, New York is a huge uh, comedy scene. Chicago, huge. Sheboygan. Um, Sheboygan. Um, but Chicago is huge. Um, Chicago's got Second City, uh, used to be, and like a ton of people came out of Chicago. Uh, LA also has like a huge comedy scene. Boston, I'd say, is like the top of the second tier. Um, but like being in Boston, there and there are a bunch of different theaters that you can take classes at. So I don't, I I haven't done much at Improv Asylum. I, let me rephrase. I've been to Improv Asylum once, so I don't know what classes they specifically offer, but. I know at Improv Boston, you can take classes in improv and sketch. I teach sketch at Improv Boston. Um, and then Comedy Sports offers classes in improv. So there's definitely places where you can go to just start and see if you like it. And then if you do like it and then you do get interested, you can kind of just keep continuing and growing. Because that's the thing about improv and sketch. As you were saying, people would look at it and say, oh, I can never do that. That's just too hard. No one's great at everything the minute they do it. Like, no one just is automatically good at something. Except for Streisand. Time. Except for Streisand. Maybe, like, you know, one of the... like. Which one? Barbara or Stan? Streisand. I was thinking um, Frank Streisand. Frank, uh, well, you know. Yeah. Barbara yeah. seems to be the one that people know more. Well, I mean, Frank's very underrated. It really is. But... but it's, cook. <laughs> to get back to my point, um, everyone has to start not knowing that they're terrible at something because once you realize you're terrible but you want to get better, that's when your journey begins. You know what's interesting about that is this is our first podcast. So I was thinking... <laughs> Segway. Segway. Wonk. <laughs> uh, this podcast was a, is a work in progress and uh, hopefully it gets better and more interesting, but I'm really... Sorry, did you want to say something? I was just going to say, uh, the first season of Parks and Rec is pretty terrible, but then they become amazing. So yeah. It takes a little bit to find your voice. Are you saying that I'm terrible right now? I'm saying that you were terrible, but now you're amazing. Now you're amazing, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And there you have it. There's the button. And scene. So thank you all for listening. We'll, I will have Emmy on again. We'll, we'll do this all again uh, sometime in the future. But yeah, thanks. Are you saying that didn't record? No. Yeah, wait a minute. This thing was never... Is this thing on. Wait a minute. Who are you people? Uh, all right. Good talk. See you out there. Good game. Keep it real. Good game.